Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series called Love Works Well. The big idea for this talk is hatred destroys, and it's based on a story of forgiveness found in Genesis chapter 45. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to week number two of Love Works Well. And that almost sounds like a disputable statement, doesn't it? Like, can love really work? And maybe more importantly, can love work well? So what we've been doing with this series is we're just trying to ask a series of questions like, what if? What if I led with love in my home? What would that look like? And what would that feel like? And what would potentially happen if I led that way? Or what if I led with love in the workplace? What could potentially happen there? Or what if I intentionally put the needs of others first? What if I loved like that? Or what if I replaced fear-based, power-hungry types of leadership for something that is entirely different? What if... And we've been defining love this way. It's choosing to give someone your time and your friendship no matter what. That's the definition of it. Last week we launched this series by talking about the most intimate of human relationships. We talked about marriage. And i got to tell you, I had a fun time with that conversation last week, and you responded well, and I want to thank you for that. And I hope you found the information to be very helpful. Today we're going to turn the corner a little bit And we're going to ask this question. What about those I hate? Right? What about those individuals? And can love work well with those people that I might be so bold as to say, I think I actually hate them. Can love work well? Now, I know some of you are thinking that this talk isn't for you because you like people and people like you and you're a lover, not a fighter, and everybody loves you. Uh, no, they don't, all right? We're going to live in the real world today, and the real world tells us that there are relational tensions that we all have to deal with. And so we're going to unpack that, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to live in the real world. Now, maybe some of you would say, I don't know if I would actually say that I hate someone, but I can pretty much guarantee this. You have people that irritate you, You have people that bug you, and you have people in your world that you would rather not be around, and you're not going to invite them to your next party. They're just not going to be there. And maybe you don't hate them, but they are very annoying. And it's hard not to hate them, and it gets a little difficult when you think about that person, right? And that person is now popping into your mind. You have a mental picture of that person. Hopefully that person is not sitting next to you. But don't look. Don't look. So for some of you, maybe hate is kind of a strong word, but there are people who annoy you, annoy you and people who irritate you, and that can quickly lead to hatred. It can happen fast, and we can get sideways quickly. Maybe for some of you, though, that word is not strong enough. And you've had a relationship in your life, and something terrible has just happened in that. 
and words have been exchanged, and that relationship, you would say, is beyond repair. And there is not only emotional tension there, there is an anger inside of you that is even alarming to you, and it's frightening to you, because you might just actually say, I think I hate that person. It's interesting, because when you look online, you can find all kinds of different things about hate. There are hate crimes, and you can read all of those stories. There are hate poems. There are even websites dedicated to those who hate their in-laws. There actually are. And, of course, we all know in this area it's perfectly acceptable to hate Stephen Singer, right? Like, we can do that. And I'm not even going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys today, okay? That's like on a whole different shelf, and that's a whole different conversation. And some of you have a college team that you love, and then a whole slew of college teams that you hate. We're going to throw that into a whole separate category too, all right? That's like a whole new level of dysfunction, and we're going to save that for a different conversation. Today we're going to talk about people. What about the people that annoy me and bug me and irritate me? What about the people that I hate? Can love work well there? Seems like there's no shortage of hate, and it can be very easy to get in this lane of creating categories of people that I like and people that I don't like, or people that I enjoy being around, or people that I don't enjoy being around, people that I'm good with, people that I'm not good with, maybe even people that I hate. Here's our big idea for today. So we're going to spend our time thinking about today, and that is hatred destroys. All right? It just destroys. And it doesn't really destroy the other person. Hatred actually destroys me. And that's why it is a very dangerous emotion. Hatred destroys me, keeps me bound up, keeps me locked up. Forget about the other individual. Here's what it does to me. It destroys me. So what do you do? Got annoying people in your life, irritating people in your life, and whether that's at home or at school or in the workplace, they are all around us, people that we might even say that we hate. How do you respond to this? How can we not allow hatred to destroy us? How can we let love work well in this situation? Well, if you have a smart device or a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 45, and there is an amazing story here that we're going to walk through, and what we're going to discover today is that hatred doesn't have to destroy us. So let me give you some background on what's happening here. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. shares the creation story, and then it goes from there to talk about God working through some of his special people, the Jewish people. And there's all kinds of people talked about in the book of Genesis, just fascinating characters. And God worked through them to accomplish quite a bit. The character of the individual we're going to spend our time talking about today, which we'll discover in Genesis chapter 45, is a guy named Joseph. Now, here's the breakdown on Joseph. Joseph was born into a large family, and he had a lot of brothers. And scripture tells us that this family was very unique because one of the dynamics in this family is that the father named Jacob actually loved Joseph more than all of the other sons. Just normal family tension, right? And you can imagine that this did not go over well with the rest of the family and the rest of the brothers. And it was kind of an annoying thing for them. There's a lot of relationship tension that's happening in Genesis chapter 45. 
Well, Scripture also tells us that Joseph's dad liked him so much that he gave him special gifts, gifts that he didn't give to all of the other brothers. And one day, Joseph's dad came in, and he gave him an amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's what he gave him, right? So this isn't just a Broadway production. This is a true story that actually happened in real life. And Joseph's dad comes in, and he gives him this fantastic coat that he didn't find on the sale rack at Macy's. That's what the rest of the boys got, all of the junk on the sale rack. But Joseph, wow, he got this amazing jacket that was just beautiful. And, of course, Joseph loved the jacket, and so he proudly wore it and displayed it in front of all of the brothers, and that annoyed them even more. So there's all kinds of tension happening here. Finally, the brothers are out in the fields one day. Joseph comes out, and he's wearing this beautiful jacket that dad gave him and didn't give to anybody else, and the brothers had it. Like, we are done with this. We need to get rid of Joseph. We need to be a stranger to him. We don't need him in our life anymore. We hate him because of how much our father cares about him more so than us. And so we got to do something about this. And so they threw Joseph into a pit. And they noticed that there were some merchants traveling nearby who were on their way to Egypt. And so they came up with this idea. Let's take Joseph and let's sell him to the merchants. And then he'll be a slave in Egypt. Just normal family conversation, right? Like, this is a great idea. Let's do that. Let's just sell him into slavery because we hate him and we can be done with him forever. And so that's what they did. They took their younger brother, who was probably 16, 17, or 18 years of age, and they sold him into slavery, and he was gone. He was done out of their lives. What they did before they sold him, though, is they took that amazing jacket and they ripped it off of him, and then they tore it into shreds, and they found an animal. They killed the animal and dipped the coat in the animal's blood to make it look like something terrible had happened. And they took the jacket back to their dad and said, Hey, Dad, remember Joseph? Yeah, I remember Joseph. Well, something got him, and he's gone. He's done. We couldn't save him. Of course, Joseph's father was devastated with that news. And he was never quite the same until Genesis chapter 45. The brothers, in the meantime, they're rejoicing, they're happy, because the one that they hated is finally gone. Well, Joseph's troubles just began. He ended up as a slave, and he spent a lot of time in prison. But yet, in that time frame, while he was a slave and being abused, and he was in prison... Scripture makes it very clear. God had not forgotten about Joseph. God had not turned his back on Joseph. God was very aware of everything that was happening in his life. We also know that Joseph had a very unique set of skills. He was a tremendous leader of leaders. And he was able to manage people and build systems And so uniquely, God had his hand on Joseph, even though he was a slave and even though he was in prison. And in time, we find Joseph being handpicked to be part of the Egyptian government. In time, he began to climb that ladder. And he ended up the number two man in Egypt. Now, at this time, Egypt is the most powerful force in the world. Nobody's bigger than Egypt. Nobody can take Egypt. There's Pharaoh. He's the number one guy the most powerful man in the world. 
And Joseph, a slave, an individual who was sold by his family, rises to become the second most powerful man in the world at that time. And God uniquely uses him to build some systems that would save the known world at that time. God made it very clear to Joseph that there was going to be a worldwide famine and that people were going to have a very hard time surviving this. And so Joseph, with his leadership abilities and his sense of management and just his skills in these areas, he began to plant more food than what the Egyptians would actually need, and they began to store all of that for several years so that when the famine came, guess who had a lot of food? Egypt. And they were going to be able to survive this because of Joseph's wise leadership. So the famine comes, and what happens is people around the world recognize we don't have any food at all. I mean, we are in a lot of trouble. We're not going to make it. We're not going to survive if we don't do something like go to Egypt and get some of their food and pay for that. And the Egyptians were very generous, and they opened up their doors and said, you come here, and we will help you survive. Well, in a very unique and strange twist of fate, guess who shows up at Joseph's door looking for food? As brothers. They actually arrive in Egypt, and they're hungry. We don't know the exact time frame, but it's probably been about 22 years since they have seen each other. So Joseph has changed. He's probably close to 40 years of age at this time. His brothers have changed, and they don't even recognize who Joseph is. All they know is that he's a very powerful person in Egypt, and he has the ability to give them food or not. Very unique situation. And as Joseph observes this and recognizes them, in that moment, he is confronted with absolutely every emotion possible, like hatred and bitterness and anger. I mean, these are individuals who abused me. I mean, this is my family, and they sold me into slavery. I mean, this is a really terrible thing. And in my mind, I'm kind of picturing this scenario. He sees them, walks into a back room, and begins to do a little bit of this. <laughs> Today is my day, right? These brothers who hated me, I have the ability, because I'm a very powerful individual, I can snap them in half and destroy them, and that's what I think I'm going to do. I think that's what I would have thought. And don't look at me like that, because I think you guys are the same way, right? This is how we think. This is my day. This is my chance. This is my opportunity to get even. But yeah, what we discover in this great chapter in Scripture is that Joseph somehow has this ability to let love work well. Keep in mind the definition of love. It's giving someone my time and my friendship no matter what. It's that no matter what clause there that I think Joseph should get out of. He's been abused. He's been sold into slavery. And here is his opportunity and his chance to do something about it. Forget about no matter what. This is my time. But that's not what happens. And so I want to take you to Genesis chapter 45. And I want to walk you through this scenario. And I want you to be thinking about love working well with those that you hate. Because again, if anybody had the opportunity to hate, and we would have said, you know, it's perfectly fine. That's acceptable because of what's happened to you. It would have been Joseph. Like, it just makes sense. 
But here's what happens. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Is that not an incredible perspective? Like, you guys didn't actually do this. It was God. He was over this all of the time. God sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us, Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go, tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. It's a powerful story. I don't know if there's a greater story in Scripture about somebody who had every right to hate, every right to step back and to snap and to go crazy, instead lean in and allow love to work well. Just a powerful story. So here's a couple of thoughts kind of fall out of the story. Number one, most of us haven't been hurt or wrong nearly as much as Joseph. All right? And when you begin to think that you've really been hurt and you've really been offended and that pain is there, that's a real thing, you just need to remind yourself that you'll probably never be hurt as much as Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his family members. I mean, that's what happened to him. And his troubles just began there. Spent years in prison. Years of abuse. So when you begin to think that you've really been hurt, we just need to remind ourselves and build some perspective that I'll probably never be hurt as much as this individual, and yet he does some things that we need to place into our lives as well. Secondly, Joseph set himself up for greatness with one choice. Joseph set himself up for greatness without even knowing it because he chose to live in an economy of forgiveness. And what is so incredible about this story and how it works for you and for me 
is that God has given all of us the same ability to live in that kind of world and in that kind of economy. The question becomes, will I make that choice? Will I choose with everything that's been done to me and all of the hurt that is in my life and with all of my pain, will I still choose to live in an economy of forgiveness and let love work well? That's the choice that's there for us. I want us to think about this question. I wonder how many God-sized adventures we miss out on in life simply because we don't choose to forgive. And we just kind of hang on to the hurt. We don't release that other person. We don't release ourselves. We don't lift the load and forgive. And so we hang on to this and we miss out on God-sized adventures simply because we choose not to forgive. Like here's a huge opportunity for Joseph to miss out on something incredible and to actually save his people, which comes in the remaining chapters of Genesis. That's how God uses him. But Joseph would have missed out on that God-sized adventure if he didn't choose to forgive. But he lived in this economy of forgiveness. And we need to be prepared to do the same. Or we're going to miss out on stuff. It's just going to happen. And hatred will destroy us if we don't let love work well. So I want to share some takeaways. I want you to think about that person in your life right now. All right, here's takeaway number one. Unresolved relationship issues need resolution. I mean, they just demand resolution. Otherwise, it's just kind of hanging there, and it exists, and it goes on and on and on forever, and it's not resolved. So relationship tension, it demands a resolution. And what's the resolution? Choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. And here's what forgiveness means. It means I'm going to take the key that I'm holding and locking somebody else up in a prison of whatever. I'm going to take that key. I'm going to open the cell door. And I'm going to let that person go free. And in doing that, I'm going to be free myself. That's really the picture of forgiveness. That's what it is and that's what it means. I've got this key something that I'm holding over other people. And instead of doing that, instead of hanging on to bitterness and hatred, instead of living that way, I'm going to live in God's economy of forgiveness. I'm going to take the key, I'm going to open the cell door, and I'm going to let that person go free, and I will be free myself. That is forgiveness. It means they're free, and I'm free. Now, I want you to think about this. Forgiveness is both an event and a process. Sometimes we struggle with this because we want forgiveness all to happen in one big move and we can just be done and everybody's happy and it really doesn't work that way because forgiveness is an event, but it's also a process. We've got to let the process work. We've got to let God work in us and in other people. So it's an event and a process. The event is taking the key, opening the door and letting that person go free. But that's just the first step. The process looks like this. It's saying, and this is what gets really hard and really challenging for all of us because we don't like doing this work, but it's an event. There's also a process. The process is saying, I'm done bringing this up to you, and I'm done bringing this up to others, and I'm done bringing this up to me. That's the process of forgiveness, and that's the hard work. So it's an event. It's turning the key, opening the door, and letting the person go free, and I'm free in that as well. But I'm also making a commitment to a process where I'm saying, if I choose to forgive you, which is what God wants us to do, I'm not going to bring this up to you anymore. 
I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to beat you over the head with some failure in the past. And I'm not going to bring this up to others either. I'm not going to talk about you to them. And then the hardest part is saying, I'm not even going to bring this up in my own mind anymore. And that's the process. So forgiveness, it's an event. It's a one-time thing where I turn the key, open the door, and let the person out. But it's also a process of saying, I'm done bringing this up to you. I'm not going to talk about it to others. And I'm done bringing this up in my own mind. That's forgiveness. It's giving yourself and others the chance to be clean and free. Often when we refuse to forgive, we're keeping ourselves locked up in a prison of hatred and envy and bitterness. And God doesn't want us to live that way. So it's time to forgive. That's the choice we need to make to resolve the conflict and let love work well. Let me ask you this. Is it time to forgive someone in your life? Maybe you've been hanging on to that because you want that peace and you're just not ready to do that, but maybe today God's kind of tugging on your heart and is it time to just forgive someone, to lift the load, to open the key, let them turn the key, open the door, and let them out and make some commitments that you're done bringing it up to them and to others and even in your own mind? Is it just time to do that and to let love work well? Give it a shot. Maybe you need to go to someone. Maybe you know you've hurt someone or offended someone and you just kind of avoided that and hope everybody forgets, but people don't forget. So maybe you need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. Or maybe something's been done to you in the past and you've been longing and waiting and hoping and even praying that that person will come to you and make that right. But it's not happening. And maybe that person has even passed and there's just no resolution there and you're hanging on to this. Would you just do the Joseph thing and live in an economy of forgiveness and allow love to work well? See, relationship tension, it has to have a resolution. And the resolution is to choose to forgive. Here's the second takeaway. Live pursuing God's purposes. See, when we live pursuing the destruction of someone we hate, we lose every single time. We just lose. And so let's live pursuing God's purposes and kind of change this a bit and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to lift the load for others. I'm going to let love work well. I'll do it God's way. I'll live pursuing God's purposes. One of the purposes God has for us is that we forgive over and over and over again. And we can't exhaust his forgiveness. God doesn't want us to do that for other people either. So let's live pursuing God's purposes. And then thirdly, let God sort stuff out. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. Maybe you're here and there's been like an extreme event in your life where you've just been hurt deeply. And maybe you can't even talk about that. You can't even describe it. And it's there. And every day you're reminded of some failure or something that's been done to you and you cannot let go even though you've tried and you've prayed and you've tried some more and you've prayed some more and it's just there and the pain is very, very deep. Would you be willing once again to kind of just take that to God and leave it at his feet 
and let God sort that stuff out? Because the reality is, God hasn't forgotten about you. God sees you, and God is aware of what has happened in your life. God is aware of all of that pain. He's aware of all of the junk. And I think he has an amazing ability to sort stuff out. He did it for Joseph. And again, most of us have never been wounded and hurt this deep. And so if God is able to do that for Joseph, I think he has the ability to do it for us as well. But we have to get to a place where we're willing to give our stuff to him. And God, you just sort this out and let love work. So what about those that I hate? And again, maybe hate's kind of a strong word for you. Maybe it's just people that annoy you and irritate you. What about those people? Because we all have them, whether they're annoying and irritating or whether we would say we actually hate them. What about those people? What about that? Well, there may be nothing more challenging in life, quite honestly. There may be nothing more difficult than dealing with those kinds of issues in our life. And we have two options. We can kind of run from it or ignore it or hope it goes away, but it never does, and it won't disappear because it's there, and we know those feelings of hurt and discouragement, and we know when we've hurt people too, so it doesn't really go away. So the other option is, well, let's just do maybe what God wants us to do. I mean, let's look at Scripture and say, Maybe this is how God wants us to walk through this when we actually hate someone or at least have somebody in our life that is really annoying. So what if we choose to forgive and let love work well? What if we choose to live God's purposes out in our lives and forgive and let love work well? What if we take those extreme things that are so hurtful and so painful and say, I'm going to give it to God one more time and I'm going to just let him kind of sort all that stuff out and I'm going to let love work well. Here's what I think will happen if we choose to do that. Hatred won't destroy us. I said, God doesn't want us to live that way. God doesn't want us to live with hatred just eating away at us. And hatred destroys, not the other person. It destroys me. And so we don't have to let that happen. We can choose to let love work well. Choose to forgive. Live out God's purposes and leave our stuff with him and let God sort it out. And I think in that moment, when we allow that to happen, here's the deal. We will be clean and free and we will not miss out on the God-sized adventures that he has for all of us. And that's a great place to be. Father, we just come to you right now and we're really thankful for a powerful story that you've recorded for us so that we would be able to look at this and know what you want us to do when we face similar kinds of circumstances. So God, we're grateful for Joseph and for what you did in his life. God, I can't even imagine that level of hurt and pain. Years of slavery and oppression Yet you saw him, you heard him, and you blessed him, and you brought him to a level of influence that allowed him to then face the biggest unresolved issue in his life, which was what happened with his brothers. But yet God, in that moment, instead of snapping, instead of getting back, boy, he made the choice 
to live in your economy of forgiveness, and it changed absolutely everything for him and for his family and for an entire nation. And so, God, we want to grab this example, and we want it to be something that marks us as well. God, we're all going to walk out of here in just a moment. And I think there's different applications for different people. There are students in the room that are in middle school and high school, and they've got their own level of frustrations with friends and people and family. There's young parents, there's older parents, there's grandparents, there are workers in here. God, relationships surround us all of the time. Even for the most introverted of individuals, there are relationships that are there. And God, people are annoying. God, we're annoying. And that irritation can quickly move to hatred if we don't choose to do things your way. So God, for everybody in here, whatever the choices that they need to make, I pray that you give them the courage and the boldness to not just listen to these words, but that we would actually do something with them as we walk out of here. With whoever that person is (laughs) that you've placed in our mind as we thought about this. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. And for you to say, God, here's what I think you're saying to me right now. Here's what you want me to do about that person or about whatever unresolved forgiveness issue might be there. Just talk to God about that. forgiveness or to talk to those that we've hurt and offended and own that. God, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of people that that leave here and they're going to take a key and open a cell door and and let people go free. And in that, they're going to be free. And God, I think you're going to open up amazing opportunities for many individuals here to really enjoy God-sized adventures because we choose to do what you want for us. We choose to live out your purposes in our lives, like forgiving others. God, the greatest example we have is the gift of Jesus and how you sent your son to die in our place. And you forgive us over and over and over again. That's incredible. God, we can't exhaust your forgiveness. But yet we're so quick to hang on to things with other people, to not release them, to get bitter and angry and to keep them locked up. God, we're not just keeping them locked up, we're keeping ourselves locked up as well. That's not how you want us to live. So pray, as we go out of here, that you'd help us to do some bold things this week, to repair some relationships, to be willing to do that and to think about the example of Joseph. Oh, what a guy. What an individual. And what a story. 
that he leaves for us about what you can do with somebody who just kind of follows your prompting. So help us to do that now, I do pray. And give us just a fantastic week of being free and clean and forgiven. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, which makes it so clear to us what we're supposed to do. Bless us now. Help us to be obedient to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.